On today's conversation, I spoke with Josh and Christy Straub, and I left the conversation wanting to be friends with them and pick their brains even more. We talk about emotional safety within the home and emotional maturity and what that growth should look like within our own lives so that our emotional ceiling continues to grow so that our children's emotional ceiling is also able to grow. And after this conversation, we realized that we actually live only about 10 minutes from one another. So hopefully I'll have more chances to pick their brains. But they have past experience in counseling and really integrating what it means to listen well, to heal well, to communicate and to grow and mature in a way that builds emotional health within your family when the world and the time and the culture is pulling you in the opposite direction. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. If you're new to the Living Easy podcast, we talk all about faith and marriage and sex and relationships with a biblical focus and gospel foundation. So if you haven't had a chance to check it out, make sure to listen to other episodes focused on family and marriage and parenthood and just life as a whole. Also, if you haven't had a chance, please take a second to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. I love seeing your feedback and learning more about who you guys are. So let's dive into today's conversation with Josh and Christy Straub. We were never promised that life would be easy, but when we do it together, it becomes much easier. I genuinely believe that we have to be intentional about creating a joyful life. I believe in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. But those things require deep, holy heart work. I am passionate when it comes to sharing vulnerably about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing, and I am passionate about sharing practical wisdom that has helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. On the Living Easy podcast, you'll hear honest insight with a biblical foundation to help you become best friends with your spouse again, to love your motherhood so much that you don't need wine or even coffee to get through the day and to find hope in the very real trials and pain that we face moment to moment. I want to challenge you every Monday to live life with purpose, to choose joy, and to honor God with all that you do. Are you ready to fight hard for that sweet, abundant life? If so, I would love to do it together. So grab a cup of coffee and join me every Monday. I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to introduce our guests, Josh and Christy Straub. They are the authors of the new book, Famous at Home. Hey, Josh and Christy, thank you guys so much for coming on today. Lindsay, thanks for having us. It's so fun. Yeah, great honor to be with you. Thanks. So Josh and Christy told me before we started recording that they have three little ones at home running around. So if y'all hear some kid life, that is just real life. My boys are currently at school. How old are your kids? We have nine, seven, and almost two. Oh, how fun. Well, that's amazing. And dogs. What kind of dog? He is a golden doodle and he probably has more energy than all of them combined. So if someone had told us that before we you know, went down that venture. We're yes. like, they're so cute and they're hair free. And that sold us. My sister has one and they, they do have so much energy. We have a little, um, I don't actually know what kind of, I just blinked, but 
I do a multi poo. Sorry, a multi poo. But they had a multi poo, and then they have the golden doodle, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, the multi poo has so much energy!" But a golden doodle is like level one thousand. So- yeah, we take him when we go to town. He goes to what we call dog camp. And this woman has this farm and she just boards all these dogs and they just run around the farm. But she said, I have never met a golden doodle that is not like Tigger. Yeah. I'm like, that's it. <laughs> that's a Purple. good example. Tigger. That's it. <laughs> oh, I so, love that. It's a trip. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Catch us up on your story. How did you two meet and how long have you been married? Yeah. So we, we've been married for 12 years and uh, we met in grad school. So mm-hmm. we were a little bit further along in life, but we were both in grad school. I think we both have so many degrees because we had no idea what we wanted to do with our lives. So we just stayed in school. <laughs> and so um, I was a, a teaching assistant in my PhD program. Christy was a grad assistant in her master's degree program. And so we worked in the same um, office, but we didn't. Uh, we were never there at the same time because mm. I had a full-time job. And so I was usually there in the evenings doing my work. So anyway, so I showed up uh, one evening and there was this beautiful girl who happened to be also there at the same time. Mm. And um, as we were leaving, I held the door for her and introduced myself and we went down the stairs and had like a, a really great 20 minute conversation. You know, when um, you like talk to someone and you're like, have I known you my whole life? Mm-hmm. Like, I just like, I get you. And I feel yeah. like you get me. It was, that was that conversation. I and love that. Was the that. First time I'd felt that in maybe, well, for sure. Never. Maybe like, oh yeah, wait, never. Yeah. Ever. For yeah. Sure, never. And to be honest too, like I wasn't looking for a relationship at the time I was finishing my dissertation. I was doing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so I remember like walking away from that conversation thinking it was a sweet conversation, but like, that was it. Like it was kind of like, I, I went about my way. Well, two weeks later I'm in a um, restaurant and I look over and I see this beautiful girl. But who he thought was a different girl. Let's just well, clear. I didn't even think it was a different girl. I didn't. I just saw a beautiful girl. And on my way out, I hear my name called and I go back to the to the table and there's a uh, professor there who called my name back and she goes to introduce me to the two girls she's having lunch with. And lo and behold, it happens to be Christy, who I had met two weeks prior mm-hmm. that I was staring at, uh, who I thought was beautiful. And when I went to shake her hand, uh, I said, Hi, I'm Josh. And and as I went to as I went to introduce myself, she looked at me and she said, Actually, we've met. Oh. And it was one of those kind of like sassy moments where I'm like, I, I like this girl. Like I need to find out who she is. I wasn't trying to be sassy, but I was like, You clearly do not remember me. Yeah. But we've actually met like you held the so, door for me. That's yeah. That, <laughs> that was yeah. the beginning of the story right there. And and from that point on, I was smitten. So Oh, I love that. Well, tell me a little bit about how you got into this realm of talking about family and cultivating family in a healthy way and writing your new book, Famous at Home. You know, we were both counselors by trade. I was working with juvenile delinquents back in the day and really um, understanding the power of emotions. And that's kind of where my doctoral research was in and the power of emotional safety, especially in kids. Mm. And uh, I wrote a book a number of years ago called Safe House, How Emotional Safety is the Key to Raising Kids Who Live, Love, and Lead Well. Part of that was because, you know, I had been working with troubled families and juvenile delinquents for, for many years in my single years. And then I get married and started working more in the emotional intelligence space with military families and that type of thing. 
and started seeing the ethical and moral failings of leaders uh, yeah. where it was kind of, you know, both in the military, uh, in the church, that type of thing. We, we started to look at what is what is going on here? Like, how does this happen? Where does it begin? And realizing that, like, I didn't want to constantly be in the crisis mode of that because the fallout of it is so wide and deep and it doesn't just affect the family. It affects everybody that they're leading. And so we kind of said, hey, what, what are ways that we can prevent this? Like, what are ways that we can really champion leaders, champion people to, and, and it constantly went back to the family. It constantly went back to the emotional safety of the family, the emotional environment of the family, and prioritizing the family that when we were first famous at home, it influenced how we showed up on our respective stages and how we lead, whether that mm-hmm. stage is the home or whether that stage is outside the home. It influences how we truly show up. And that's where the idea of Famous at Home came from is kind of the question of what are we chasing? Because every one of us has a chase. Every one of us is chasing something. And so that's really where Famous at Home um, kind of was born out of is, and, and part of it was our own journey, our own difficult journey, having kids early on. I, I, I had to go back and look at the research and go, man, parenting, it's not going to be any easier, but it, it's got to be simpler than what quote unquote experts say that it is. And um Every major outcome that we desire in our kids constantly pointed back to this phrase of emotional safety and creating an emotionally safe environment. Mm -hmm. And so we simplify that by just going, hey, when you can create an emotionally safe environment in your home, it gives you the ability to show up to be famous at home. And when you're famous at home, you can go out into the world to do what God has called you to do, whatever he's called you to do. And you can do it well and you can show up on your stage well because we are blessing our spouses as they go out the door as opposed to when I leave Christy going, when are you going to be home? You know, how long are you going to be gone? Mm-hmm. You know, that type of thing. There's a very different atmospheric uh, capacity in our home that I'm leaving from when I'm blessed um, than, than when I'm not. That's so good. And you had mentioned, you know, kind of walking through this in your own lives and um, experiencing maybe your own convictions. Can you, either of you, share your experience? Maybe what are some areas in your life where you did not experience an emotionally safe home growing up or you did, and that was something that poured down into the way that you parent now? And how in your own home have you seen a need for emotional safety and have had to learn maybe to implement that in a way that you hadn't learned growing up? I think I could go back to like very poignant moments when we were first like new parents. And we say like we did pretty, we were doing pretty well until like our biggest opponent came in weighing eight pounds, one ounce. (laughs) And uh, you know, we thought we were doing okay. Like, you know, marriage wasn't as much of the issue for us. Um, I think just because we worked in that space. And so we felt like, you know, we had some tools around that and you know, we're fairly well, at least <laughs> informationally prepared. Right. Sure. Um, as much as that can, you know, take you, it can only take you so far, but here, here comes this little babe and he screamed and he cried. He had colic and acid reflux and I couldn't nurse. And I had all these, like my body was just, I had all these infections. Like I was just going through, it was awful. And it was not what I envisioned, you know, motherhood to be. I really felt blessed to be able to stay home and that's what I wanted to do. But even being a stay at home mom felt so, (sighs) 
it, it was like so uncomfortable to me. Mm. Like I didn't know who I was anymore. I couldn't relate to, you know, other moms who are just seeming to have this like effortless journey into motherhood. And I was like, I've, I feel lost. I feel hidden. I feel left at home and left behind in a lot of ways. And I remember one day I was in the kitchen, I'm, you know, wearing my mom uniform of like no makeup, you know, hair in a ponytail, <laughs> baggy sweatpants and, yep. you know, a old volleyball t-shirt that's spackled in, you know, banana and pureed sweet potato. I remember it like yesterday because I was teaching Lane and our oldest to eat solids. And Josh comes like sauntering in the house. It, again, we always talk about when we're coaching families, you know, the story I'm telling myself, right? Because there's like eight sides to truth. Right. And the story I'm telling myself is that as Josh walks in, wafting the smell of some latte, like this delightfully relaxing day that he's had a, a coffee shop, having meetings, talking about all his exciting projects and all these great things that he's got going on. And mm-hmm. he comes in and I am, I am frazzled and I am like scattered. And I haven't talked to someone who knows how to tie their shoes in days. And I just broke down in tears. And I, I looked at him and I, you know, obviously when we feel attacked or fear, when we feel insecure, we dart out our own arrows out is our only mm. way of like protecting ourselves in the moment. And so I just threw some arrows out right at him. And I was like, why don't you ever ask me what's on my heart? And I don't even know why. Like, it was like, it just came out of me. And I realized I felt so lost and I was giving my kids the worst version of me that I'd ever been. I was angry a lot. I was, I remember someone dropped a pot in the kitchen one time and I just burst into tears. It was like I was, I call it a hitting the bottom rung of life. We brought our, our second child, our daughter into the world, you know, there's soon after. And she was even more difficult than our first. And I went through this season, which, you know, I look back now and you could probably label there was postpartum depression and anxiety and all that stuff. I just knew I was the worst version of me that I'd ever been. And I was short with my kids. I was short with my husband. I was, I was not doing well. And as Josh is writing, you know, books on emotional safety in parenting, mm-hmm. I'm at home being like, this is so much harder than it is when you write it in a book. And, and yet we had to figure this out for us. Like, okay, we know this is important. And what if this could strip away all of the, you know, cause I mean, you leave the hospital and it's like, you have all these decisions of, you know, in parenting and there's all these experts that tell you co-sleeping, don't co-sleep, you know, vaccinate, don't like, I don't you want to get into all the debates because they're, they're overwhelming to a new mom, let alone a, you know, a second time mom, a third time mom, the voices are so loud. And so I realized, and Josh realized we, like as a team, we were like, this has to stop. Mm-hmm. We have to simplify and we have to ask like literally come to God alone and ask him for the wisdom to know how we are to raise these lives that he's entrusted us with. And so this like screaming concept of emotional safety, we're like, let's start there because every research outcome points to like the major things that we want for our kids. It all came back to this. And so for me, it was a lot of doing my own work in order to heal trauma and wounds and reactions in me so that I could no longer react out of whatever emotions flying out, but instead respond to my children in a way that I am grounded. I am, and we're never going to get this right perfectly. We are, we're going to mess up. Mm -hmm. Um, But the more 
faithfully, I showed up to do my own work. And that looks like counseling. It looked like coaching. It looked like we have spiritual directors. We have, we put this team around us and in our lives because we value it. And we think it's really important. And I think it's important for every parent. It does, takes a village. Yeah. It does. But it's not just a village that's pouring into your kids. It's a village that's also pouring into you. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that, Christy. I know it's always really good, I think, and healthy for people to hear that even in the thick of writing about these things or talking about them or teaching about them, that real life still happens. And it doesn't mean that it's just because we can preach it or speak. And I'm speaking of myself, like just because I can speak about healthy marriage doesn't necessarily mean that every single day is, I mean, every every moment, you know, is this perfect moment. There are so much, there is so much brokenness within the relationship that needs healing. It's just the awareness of the growth that God calls us to and the awareness and the willingness in the obedience to respond to that call. Imagine believing and experiencing the truth that marriage is a gift from God to be embraced, not a burden to endure. Most marriage problems, you guys, are not marriage problems. They are God problems and they are heart problems. Nobody walks down the aisle to say I do with a plan to have a mediocre, difficult marriage that ends in divorce. Divorce is painful and messy and hard. And God didn't call you to be a wife who fixes and fixes and exhausts herself with the efforts to make her husband better. Instead, he called you to be a love him wife. Did you know that 50% of marriages end in divorce? And in 2020, the top reported reasons for divorce were a lack of communication and an inability to resolve conflict. Ladies, have you equipped yourself properly? Would you wait until your entire house had burnt down before seeking help? It is more likely that if your house were on fire, as soon as you saw the spark of that first flame, you would be doing everything you could to fight it, to fix it, and to learn from it. It should be the same for your marriage. It's time to make a change. I am here to speak with you all about the Wife Project. Our society views marriage as disposable, but God's word calls us to so much more than that. The purpose of the Wife Project, which has already been purchased by hundreds and hundreds of women, is to challenge you to grow so deeply in your relationship with Jesus that it has no choice but to flow over into your marriage. I have received countless testimonials that God is using this course to actively change and transform very real marriages from the core. I am offering eight video sessions that will address your root issues with biblical wisdom that will help to lead you to live the life with your husband that you always hoped for as soulmates rather than sharing life as roommates. The best part of this is that you will have lifetime access to the entire course. So if you can't listen to it or watch it right now, it will still be available to you in 5, 10, or 15 years. And all of the videos and the Wife Project Journal will be easily accessible for you. The journal will include marriage challenges, scripture memory verses, and journal questions to begin working through the deep struggles of your marriage immediately. And I cannot wait to see what Jesus does in your faith and in your marriage through this course. Just visit my website, sparrowsandlily.com, or click the link in the show notes below or the link in my bio on Instagram at Living Easy with Lindsay for more information and to sign up for the waitlist.
Um, and Josh, I would love to hear from you because I think that this is something that many, many women can struggle with. And I can speak to this as well. My husband used to be in real estate. He stays home with me and works with me now, but he used to come home and I'd be home with the kids. And he's like, oh yeah, I just had lunch with this person and I had a little bit of time here. I'm like, oh, how nice for you that you got to do that. And that (laughs) resentment like built in me. I'm like, you didn't think to come home instead, you know, and help me for an hour. But he was networking and he was doing his job. And and I knew that in the depths of my soul, but in just my emotion and in my stress and in similarly to you, Christy, and not giving my best self to my kids, that resentment was building. But he faced a little bit of confusion because when he would come home, it was like, well, I'm working for our family. I'm providing for our family. And, and yes, I have some moments of freedom that I take, but for me, I wasn't allowing myself to be a human alongside being a mother. I saw my identity in being a mother instead of my identity being in Jesus and my role and my ministry as a mother. I wasn't separating the two. And he had a hard time understanding that. So Josh, I would love to hear maybe your thought when you came home and Christy just kind of blew up or when the pots fell and she lost it and what is your take as a husband and maybe what is some encouragement you could give to husbands whose wives are feeling this way. Yeah, I know it's so good. I think in that moment, I just held her. Um, I just, I think it was the right thing to do, but I didn't do it because it was the right thing to do. I did it because it was the only thing I knew to do. Um, Mm -hmm. In the moment, she was so overwhelmed that I just remember going up and holding her. And that's even hard in some moments because she feels like a thorn and not a rose uh, because the defense is the, you know, everything's coming at you. There's arrows coming at you. Uh, because you're the safest person in her life. I'm the safest person in Christy's life. And so when she's not doing well, I'm the one taking the brunt of all the stuff. And I think for all of us, we just have to come to a place of understanding that in those moments, our limbic system of our brain is going off. That's the fight, flight, or freeze response. That's the overwhelmed part of the brain where it's it's like that survival. Uh, We're just trying to survive. And when that part of the brain is going off, the higher functioning parts of the brain actually shut down. So emotion regulation, problem solving, social skills, cognitive flexibility, those all shut down. And we don't have the ability to think straight or, or respond well to our loved ones in those moments. And so that's why one of the things we talk about often is, especially in marriage, is when, you know, the Bible says that to guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Mm-hmm. When we become one flesh, we have one marital heart that we need to guard. And when Christy's overwhelmed, I've got to guard her heart because there's something deeper going on. Even though what I'm getting is anger and what I'm getting are, you know, arrows, there's something going on behind those emotionally that I've got to pursue. And and so that's why we talk so much about the power of emotions. And this isn't not, I'm not saying this to condemn anybody. This is just the way that it is in our culture. We're not a very emotionally literate culture. Mm-hmm. We don't really know how to use a lot of emotion words or emotional language uh, around our day to day. We just know that the day was not good. We know that we were overwhelmed. We know that our husbands weren't home or our wives weren't home when they should have been or we thought they should have been. And so we build up these expectations. And so what we talk about in Famous at Home in the book is we have this um, approach that we use with married couples called 15 minutes a day, where rather than talking about your 
you know, high of the day or your low of the day or whatever, or, you know, cause we talk so much, it's transactional. We talk about the business of the day. Kids got to get here, there, that type of thing. Right. Instead, use an emotion word to describe one positive emotion you felt that day. And then to also describe one uncomfortable emotion about something that happened that day in your life. And we encourage couples to start neutral with this because you don't want to just say, you know, I felt rejected by you today because you were being a jerk, right? It's like, we're not going to set it up that way. That's blaming. We don't want to blame. You start with a neutral conversation, a neutral issue not related to the marriage, because when that happens, I gain deeper insight into what's going on in the Christie's heart. it, It makes me want to fight for her when I hear an emotion word, as opposed to wanting to fight against her when I'm getting those arrows shot at me. And so we just really use this um, 15 minutes a day, one positive, one uncomfortable emotion to really get into the heart of one another, of your spouse. Hmm. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that. I love that you said that. It makes you want to fight for her rather than building up this wall of defensiveness because you feel like she's coming at you. And I, I genuinely, I love what you said with the 15 minutes per day. And I'm, I encourage everyone go check out famous at home and we'll talk a little bit more about it at the end, but just the wisdom and the practicality, um, that you both bring into not only marriage, but also into parenthood is so helpful because I think as you're saying, there are people who look at, you know, Instagram as their source of, of wisdom as their source of information. And even as their Bibles, that some people go to Instagram and they read a verse a day and they feel filled um, in their relationship with Jesus. And there's just not that awareness of the amount that God says about these things, the amount that God says about our relationships and how he leads and guides and his love and his compassion and his way, you know, the way of Jesus. If we follow the way, we know his rules, we know all of the things that he says to do and to not do. But when we look at the way that he lived his life, it was full of so much compassion. And that's what I hear from both of you. And as you're working through these struggles, is that you're trying to find an understanding with one another to create that emotional safety within your home. And that is the example that we desire to follow. Um, and there are so many other great bo- points that you make with within the book. And one that stood out to me is when you note that a parent's emotional ceiling is directly correlated to their child's. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by that? Yeah. So there's research that shows that basically our, ch- uh, our children will not outgrow our emotional maturity while they're under our roof. And we're huge on the belief, uh, Pete Scazzaro, Uh, talks about this, that we can only be as emotionally mature as we are spiritually mature. And so you can't remain emotionally immature and be spiritually mature. If you're growing in the Lord, you're going to grow emotionally. And so basically what this means is that, you know, we want to level up in how we live our lives, our own emotional maturity. So if I'm yelling at my kids and I'm, you know, shaming them and I'm, you know, my love is not perfect like the Lord's, but um, you know I can grow in my love towards my kids. But if my love is constantly conditional on their behavior and it's constantly conditional on, or they're perceiving that it's conditional on my attitude or my tone of voice or that type of thing, they're they're going to receive that in a certain way, and they're going to it's going to influence how they see the world around them and how they enter in relationships. And so I want to make sure that I'm loving my kids unconditionally the way that the Lord loves me and out of, uh, you know, first John, it says that we love because he first loved us, that my love is for my kids is growing 
um, that I'm growing. You know, all of parenting, you can sum up all of parenting research into one primary conclusion, and that's that our kids become who we are. And so we talk about tons of research in the book there that point to this. And so if my kids become who we are, then I need to be growing. You know, Christy hates the word parenting. She just doesn't like the word parenting. And there's a truth that in the end, the outcomes of our kids have less to do with our parenting and more to do with our becoming, who we're becoming as adults. And so, you know, Christy and I, as a result, we have a therapist in our life. We have uh, life coaches in our lives. We have spiritual directors. We have our local pastors. We have people who surround us to help us become better than who we are, to, to constantly be growing emotionally and spiritually, uh, people who hold us accountable. And because that's, that's what we need to be doing to grow. Like It's all about who we're becoming. And the more that we're growing and the more that we're becoming, the more space it gives our kids to grow and become as well. What would you say to a parent, um, I'm all about grace, who would say, I just feel like I don't even have the capacity or I don't have the ability to change the way that I am with my children. You know, like you kind of hear some people like, well, I'm just a yelling mom. That's just who I am. Or I'm just the angry mom. Or my kids just, they hate me and want nothing to do with me. As you speak to this maturity and this growth, how would you also speak to the restoration and the redemption that Jesus can bring even in the most broken home? Great question. I grew up in a broken home. My parents divorced when I was 10. I tell that story in the book and, you know, it's fascinating. I think the way that you pitch the question, I'm going to say it this way. Um, it might sound, you know, I genuinely believe we have to uh, lead in grace and follow up in truth. Mm-hmm. Um, truth without grace leads to condemnation. And, uh, but, but there's got to be truth spoken as well. And part of that truth is that, you know, even in, in one of the things we talked about in the marriage component of this is that um, Dr. David Burns and his research found that the greatest predictor of marital satisfaction is your ability to take 100% responsibility for your role in the conflict. Yeah. And that means when Christy and I are arguing, I have to take 100% responsibility for my role in the conflict, even if I think I'm the one that was wronged. And so there's a degree of truth where it's like, I can only help people to the willingness that they want to be helped. If, if they want to just assume that this is who I am and I can't grow and there's no repentance, there's no mm. seeking forgiveness of the Lord, or there's no going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I forgive me of my sins and I'm repenting of those sins. I'm repenting of the way I treat my kids. I'm repenting from the way that I treat my spouse. And instead, it's just a constant like, you know what? No, this is who I am. But the grace component of that, the grace side of that is saying, Listen, if you want to be a better parent, you want to be a better spouse, you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, like the support, the love, God loves you so, so, like the the love of God is unfathomable uh, for all of us. And, and, And it's not even that we... We can't do anything to gain his love. He, he just loves us. I can't do anything to lose his love. Like every bad thing, every sin I've committed in my life has been washed clean just because he loves me and, and because I pursue his holiness. And I and when I sin, I seek his forgiveness. And, and so I set all that up to say like, man, our ability to be able to say, I want help. When we do that, what it does is it just, it sets you up for in a way that you receive Christ's love, but you also not only receive Christ's love, but you receive it in how you parent. And this is the beautiful thing. Dr. John Gottman, who's kind of the preeminent marital researcher, he also did research in emotion coaching children. 
And one of the things that he found is even if you get this emotional safety thing right that we're talking about here in today's episode, if you get this emotional safety thing right just two out of five times, that's only 40% of the time. So in other words, if you're emotionally safe 40% of the time, you can still get the outcomes you're looking for in your children. And the reason is because the research says that there's a word called repair that is the ultimate of relationships. Well, the Bible calls it forgiveness, and it tells us to practice it a lot. So in other words, when you do yell, when you do say things that you regret, because you will, because you're human, I do it. I, you know, I have to seek the forgiveness of my kids all the time. It's like when we do that, it's the buffer that helps gain our children's trust. And so when we're wrong, the research calls it repair. The Bible calls it forgiveness. When you mess up, because you will, your ability to enter into your child's world and seek their forgiveness, to apologize for your offense and and ask how you can make it right. What you do is you repair the relationship and you model for your kids, number one, that you're not perfect. You also model for them that you don't expect them to be perfect. And number three, you show them how to make it right when you're not. And one of the beautiful ways to even do that, we got this from our friend Jeannie Cunyon, is to go to the cross with your kids when you've wronged them. So in other words, it's me with my children going, you know what? Daddy should have never spoken to you that way. I am so sorry. Would you mind praying with me as I ask Jesus for forgiveness right now? Mm. And now what you're doing is you're resetting your relationship, not just with your kids, but you're resetting your relationship with Jesus right in front of your kids. And you're modeling for them, look, we're not perfect, but we're going to go on a path of doing everything we can to experience his perfect love for us. That's what we are going to do. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that. I feel that that's one thing as I grew up and and no fault, you know, to my parents. They at the time weren't believers and um but it was something that was really interesting to me when I became a mom was seeing the impact that, like you're saying, those small, seemingly small apologies, like, you know, I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong of mom. Do you forgive me? Um, That it made on my child because as I grew up, I think I had this belief that my parents were just the ultimate human beings, you know, like they could do no wrong and anything that they did was the right way because they were mom and dad and they knew better. And then obviously as you become an adult, you see there's no perfect person and we're all sinners and broken. Um, And I actually had a conversation with my son yesterday that this reminded me of. And I had, I don't know what had happened, but there was just this tension in our home yesterday and he was feeling really frustrated And I asked him to go up to his room to have just some alone time and um, just read a book. And he didn't want to, and he got argumentative. And so we went into the room and had a conversation. And I had raised my voice in the conversation as he was getting frustrated. And I stopped and I apologized. And this is no praise to myself. You know, this happens too often for me. And it's something that I am really, really working in and just not being kind of overstimulated in my responses. Over, I guess responding to overstimulation. But I had said, I'm, I'm sorry for raising my voice or for getting frustrated. This should have just been a conversation where I was hearing you out. And he said, well, you're a mom. That's what moms do. Like they get to raise their voice or they get to get mad or they get to yell. And wow. moms and dads are just allowed to do that. That's just what they do. And I said, no, but that's wrong. That's not true. Um, Yes, it will happen because we're sinful. And yes, we have emotional responses just as you do. But 
I don't want you to ever feel that you have to justify that for me because I'm a mom. That That is not righteous anger or what God calls me to. But it was just really eye-opening for me that in that moment that may seem so small to me was a very just eye-opening maybe conversation for him where he was able to see, oh, no, that doesn't mean it's okay just because she does it. And that doesn't mean that this is how we respond to things in our home just because we feel frustrated. So, but I, I really appreciate the insight. Um, and that again, back to the emotional safety, it's something that I feel we're really teaching ourselves, but to show that there is that growth and that action taking as well in responding to that truth. And I really, I could go on for days about this conversation. I would love to just (laughs) pick your brains for hours, but I know I don't have that time. So just to say over that, like if you're at a place where you're like, you hear Lindsay's story and my story and you're like, oh my gosh, I relate, but I don't know where to start. One way to start, like we wrote, we have a series of kids books and partially we wrote them for the parent, probably more so than even the child. I think it's really important that we, we learn, like as our children learn emotional vocabulary so that they do have a really high emotional intelligence, you know, for life. But because a lot of us missed that and that's no fault of our parents. They didn't know. They also came out of a generation where there was like, you think of the trauma of the great depression, like they were using the tools that they were given from their parents. And we just have a ton more information and ability now, I think to grow and to grow in, uh, in our own emotional intelligence, but then also Again, that means our our kids, like their floor is so much higher. And I mean, amazing things <laughs> what, that they will do. But yeah. if you want to start, I would I start with your kids. And like we have one book called What Am I Feeling? And it's the basics of being able to label emotion and it has an, a feelings chart in the back and you can pull it out and just starting to label emotion. And, and we talk about in Famous at Home and we have a podcast called Famous at Home as well. And we go through all of this in the podcast, but we talk about using emotion language in your home. That's one of the seven decisions um, it, to be famous at home is to use emotion language. And that's usually feels a little clunky at first, especially when you're not familiar with it. You didn't grow up like that, but it's not hard. And once you just start to use some of that language, you can use, uh, we have a couple of resorts, like, what do I do with worry? What do I do with anger comes out um, this summer? And those are great conversation starters because worry, anger, those are all feelings that we as parents have and we feel them. But if we try to mask how that impacts our lives. We are crippling our children for them to be able to, to know how to healthily deal with some of the big feelings that they experience. Whereas when we can show them transparently with, with boundaries, obviously we're not putting the weight of our emotions on our children, but we want them to be able to see, you know, mom, I was really um, less angry. I was really angry and I, I lost my temper today. And I am really sorry for that. I should not have yelled at you, but I, that is still something I am working on. And I think like, will you forgive me? And can we start again? And then when we, you get that start again, the kids get to see that we need our start agains just as much as they do. But also that Josh was talking about repair that like that ultimate of relationships, you get to bond in that, in that moment of shared struggle where it's like, yeah. I am still working on it too, bud. And I thank you for your forgiveness. Just as mom and, you know, dad ask that, you know, you ask for forgiveness when you mess up, so do we. And so sometimes I think just having a couple tools in your home um, to start moving in that direction is all you need to get the ball um, moving and rolling. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and to see and be the fruit of those things, because I do, I think that even those small little actions that you might think, oh, okay, that's not going to make a massive difference in my home. But once you start implementing them, I do think that it absolutely, you you start to see the fruit of that. You start to see the fruit of what God is doing within not only your heart as you are like, okay, at least for me, I'm like, I've had to ask for forgiveness for this thing four or five or six times. I don't want to do that again. So I'm going to be more self-aware, more self-controlled, lean into the Holy Spirit in those moments so that I don't have to go right back and say, I'm so sorry again. But if and when I do, because I will, because I'm human, then I know, okay, I, I can repent, ask for that forgiveness. I love what you said about going back to the cross as well together as a family. Um, but as you're saying, Chrissy, you know, really being intentional in those small moments and seeing the fruit of those things only continues, I think, in my opinion, prompts us to do more and to move forward and more and to see how God really can, the gospel alone can pour into our relationships, our parenthood, our marriages. Okay. My last question, this is something that I want to ask. So a book that I read in the past, it talked about the gospel and it kind of dissected the gospel in the sense that, you know, our children are not bad or good. They make sinful decisions and they make godly decisions that are led by God because God is all things good. Can you talk a little bit about how the gospel impacts emotional safety and our perception of our children's behavior? The way that I see children and the way that I see parenting is raising them in light of the entire gospel. So um, you know, starting with the fall of mankind, you know, that they are sinful, that, that they are a part of the fall, that they uh, then, well, first of all, that they're God's creation. So it starts mm-hmm. with creation. They are, they are created in the image of God. They're beautiful. But then the fall comes and, you know, and, and the problem with parenting and the problem with this is that we end up seeing our kids in light of only part of the gospel, not the entire gospel. So a lot of times as parents, we will sit with, um, you know, we'll see our kids as, you know, God's gift to the earth. They were created by God. They're, they're created in his image. They're God's gift to the universe. And so therefore we have to dote on them, love them, you know, make every excuse under the sun for when they make mistakes and, you know, uh, cover up their sin. But then they were, they're, they're also part of the fall. So they're sinful. And the other mistake we make is when we only see our kids in light of their sin and, you know, they're all bad. They, you know, they're, they're sinful brats and we, therefore we must put more rules in their lives and that type of thing. And so when we do that, we either parent fully by grace, if we see them in creation, or we parent fully by truth, if we see them as part of the fall, because they need more rules in order to, to, to get put back into place. And, you know, but when we see them in light of the whole gospel, now all of a sudden you see them as sinful kids in need of a savior. And so you see them in the need of redemption. And so when they come to know Jesus, they receive Holy Spirit into their hearts and into their lives who is now convicting them of their sins and they're able to go back into. And so what happens then is we don't just become moms and dads. We're now brothers and sisters of our kids. And we get to, Abba is our is our father, and we get to disciple our kids. We get to disciple them into who he is. And that's a glorious thing. But it doesn't even stop there because now you have the redemptive, the restoration and the new heaven and the new earth coming out down out of heaven. And we're building for that new kingdom and new earth. And we talk about that in Famous at Home, but that's where we get to partner with our kids to uh, make all things, partner with Jesus 
uh, as families to make all things new and bring heaven to on earth as it is in heaven. So one of the things we do with our kids each night is pray the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven. And we and we walk them through, you know, I'll have conversations with them about each parts of the Lord's Prayer and what does it mean to live on earth as it is in heaven? And what does that mean to treat people that way? And what does it mean to love Jesus and experience Jesus? And what does it mean, therefore, to have, be sinned against? And, 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 and what does it mean to avoid temptation? And what does it mean to build for the new kingdom and the new earth? And, and so when we see our kids in light of the entire gospel, we see them created in the image of God, but we also get to shepherd them once they know Jesus into living out their salvation, carrying out their salvation, just as we are as adults. Yeah, I think that is such a weight on my shoulders that I have learned, or I guess I would say it was was a weight, um, was the perception that my children's salvation was going to be a response to the way that I lived my life. And while I think that there is responsibility as a mother where that's my ministry, it has been extremely freeing for me to look at my children through the lens of grace and through the lens of of God's salvation, that there is nothing that I can do to save my children. But there is so much that I am able to do and so many tools and resources that God has given to me to display the fruit of what he's done in my life faithfully, whether that be repentance or compassion or self-control, but also to have that acknowledgement that that is God's hand and God's work in my child's life. And I think in the way that, as you guys, you both have been saying, is there's that actionable faith. There's that actionable movement that we're able to take in our relationships so that our children see the faith. They see us living it out. Um, and I love the example as well that you both set of having so many people pouring in because that's also an example to our children that they don't have to carry these burdens alone. They don't have to carry the burden of their sin or, or of the bullies or the pain that they're experiencing. Experiencing, but that they can speak to other people and have that community and that fellowship. And they're witnessing that in our lives as believers. So as I said, I just love listening to both of you so much and I have so many thoughts and questions. So we'll have to do this again sometime soon, but I just want to thank you both so much for what you do, for the work that you do. Um, I know that our listeners specifically are going to be really blessed by your wisdom in this conversation. So can you tell them a little bit, I know you had mentioned your podcast, but tell our listeners where they can find you and where they can find your book, Famous at Home. Yeah, so everything is at famousathome.com. So and, and you can get it on any retailer, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, if we still go to bookstores today. Um yeah. and uh, I do. Yeah, I do. So, <laughs> so yeah, so famousathome.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook as well. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, and as always, if you guys enjoyed this conversation, make sure to tag us on Instagram, share on your stories, let us know what you gleaned from Josh and Christy, and make sure to check out Famous at Home. Tag them when you purchase the book. This is always so new and exciting. Make sure to support their endeavor and support their ministry, support what they're doing for families and for the kingdom of God. And we love you guys, and we'll talk to you next Monday. 